Hi, I'm Ambika Gotham Pai. I'm a writer and the chief strategy officer of an ad agency called Mechanism. I'm a mom of two little babies and the sort of person who just cannot stop thinking. You are listening to Corner Office Breakdowns, a podcast that reconciles humanity and the workplace. Here we dive into conversations that usually happen in whispered tones or behind closed doors and bring them to the center, contemplating and breaking down the way leading and living have historically been done and rebuilding them together. Corner Office Breakdown sits at the intersection of business and leadership, equity and emotion, parenthood, womanhood, personhood, and as crazy as it sounds, the meaning of life. All of the guests you will hear from are people who have fundamentally changed my outlook. They may shift yours too. Thank you so much for being here. I hope you like this podcast. I hope you love it. I hope you share it. And I hope you subscribe. Carol is a leadership consultant and executive coach whose work spans across levels and organizations from the C-suite to directors, from big four firms to startups. She specializes in helping teams and individuals consciously and courageously decide who they want to become and then facilitates the process to make that transformation happen. Together with her wife, Jillian, she is also the co-owner of Helm Coffee Roasters in Indianapolis. Prior to consulting, Carol served as the chief communications and marketing officer at a major sports organization and chief of staff and in-house counsel at a rapidly growing public company. Carol has also experienced a lot of ups and downs in her personal life. And together with her personal experience and her professional experience, I couldn't think of anyone better uh, to have this conversation about grief with. Earlier today, I was on social media talking about how much I'm looking forward to doing this episode because grief has been an undercurrent of my life for the last five-ish years, um, especially acutely. And in the light of day, I was thinking about it in such an analytical way, right? I'm a strategist, and so I had written out these questions and and cultivated this point of view and was excited to like facilitate this conversation tomorrow. And usually the night before I record, I'll just like go back to some of my favorite books or articles or podcasts or whatever on the topic and um I grabbed a few books off my bookshelf and started reading about grief and the first word that kept showing up was anguish um and god like even that word anguish twists something inside of you. Um, it, it creates the exact sense of pain and discomfort that it's talking about. An author named Renata Suzuki says so beautifully, anguish 
It's one of those words you understand the meaning of just by the way it sounds. It has this gnarling rasp to it. You twist your mouth around it to say it. Kind of like what feeling it does to your insides. It's an awful, drawn out, knotted up word. It's also one of the things I feel without you, she writes. And that was the first thing I read this evening. And I literally just had to close the book because once the sun goes down and and the sounds of the day quiet and the work comes to a halt, hopefully it does for all of us at some point, grief feels very different. And despite the fact that I am an excellent compartmentalizer and am usually able to carry on with you know what needs to be done and do my work and throw myself into my work and look at grief through a really analytical lens um once the night comes around and everything quiets all I can do is feel it. And it it's just very hard to prepare by taking myself deeper into a state of grief by reading about grief and anguish and trauma and powerlessness and shock. Um, these deeply challenging, painful things that like truly create a sensation in your body when you say them. So this may be the least prepared I will be ever in doing this podcast because I consider myself a researcher and a facilitator and want to always bring a very informed point of view to everything I do. But Um, when it comes to a topic like this, I don't have the capacity at this moment in my life to, um, separate the feeling of grief from the thoughts of grief, if that makes sense, or the feeling of grief from the analysis of grief. Um, so I'm going in cold And I'm just going to speak from the heart. And hopefully, Carol, who I'm sure she will, she is just phenomenal, uh, will be able to ground our conversation in ways that I may not be able to. Um, So thanks for bearing with me. And let's see where this one goes. Carol, I feel like we've been meant to have this conversation since the minute we met. (laughs) Um, We already said this to each other, but just for the sake of the listeners, you know, I feel like we connected very quickly and I feel like we are cut from the same cloth in terms Mm. of how we think, how we talk about emotions, how open we are about them and how emotions have sort of intersected our our professional lives as well. Mm-hmm. Um, not that professional lives and personal lives are different by any means, but you know, we've allowed emotion to infiltrate mm-hmm. how we work 
and how we think when we work. Um, and you and I met at a fairway dinner. Shout yeah. out, Aaron. <laughs> um, which actually a few of the guests that I've I've had on this season, um, I met through Aaron, and Aaron herself is in one of the episodes, which I'm super excited Amazing. about. Um, but yeah, I just I so deeply respected you from like the minute mm -hmm. I met you. We were both seven months pregnant, I think, at mm -hmm. the time, and we're like, oh, another pregnant person. Like we're drinking our mocktails. Um, and then, you know, we've been able to sort of follow each other's lives for the last year ish. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've just gotten so much out of how you speak and the point of view you put out into the world. So thank you so much for being here. Oh my gosh. Thank you for having me. The feeling is so mutual. I, we were sharing <laughs> just before we started that I feel like I know you so well because of the writing that you put out even before the podcast. Mm -hmm. And, um, it, it draws people in it. You can't, you can't deny it. It's cause like nobody talks about the shit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> nobody so talks true. about the shit. Um, and that's what we're here to talk about today. And I feel, that's I feel true. judgmental even saying that this is shit, but this is like a topic that, um, is usually tethered to mm -hmm. the shittiest parts of life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and what we have historically deemed as like the negative emotions or the bad mm -hmm. emotions, mm -hmm. um, and have therefore resisted talking about resisted unpacking, mm -hmm. resisted bringing into the workplace or into new friendships. Mm -hmm. Um, and so this topic of grief, um, feels really potent, I think, to both of us, mm -hmm. um, not just in this very moment of our lives, but also, you know, in the last few years for both of us. Um, and so let's just start there. Yeah. <laughs> let's just start there. Like what's been happening in your life? Give us your spiel. Oh um, gosh. I know that's so intimidating, right? Like, what is my spiel? How do how I summarize? Do we have? <laughs> how, how can I summarize my life in five minutes? Um, but no, whatever you feel called to share, let's start mm. there. Yeah. So I'm a coach. And part of what I do is help people feel the full range of human emotions. And mm -hmm. that's why I thought grief was such an important discussion for us to have. Because there is this notion, particularly in the development world mm -hmm. or the self-help world or the introspective world, where somehow we have conflated the idea of overall well-being, peacefulness, contentedness with the idea that we don't feel mm -hmm. emotions that are hard to feel, mm -hmm. which means that we're cutting ourselves off or judging ourselves for having this huge part of the human experience. Mm -hmm. I mean, this, this isn't, this isn't outside of what we're trying to get this is part of what we've been training for right like yeah. this is this is it to be able to feel it and be in it and experience it so that is a lot of of what I do now but I would admit that I didn't start there mm -hmm. um, I started in a much more kind of corporate anxious achiever space where <laughs> my only goal was to feel successful yep. and um, try to be as happy and look as perfect on the outside as possible and then, you know, got to a point where I realized I, I climbed a pretty big ladder and wasn't super happy mm -hmm. at the top of it. Yeah. And I think acknowledging some of that, actually, there's a lot of grief in that, in oh, acknowledging yeah. that the identity that you have built 
maybe isn't the one that you want to continue to have. And you have to let go of that person. And so that's, that is the start of what shifted me into this work. And of course, a lot of things on the personal side as well led to that. Yeah. Yeah. In, um, you know, before we do these conversations, being the strategist, I am like outline my questions and like write a discussion guide and do yeah. my research. <laughs> um, and yeah, like, you know, this one felt very different to me. I wasn't mm. able to approach it from as like intellectual and academic mm-hmm. and analytical of a, of a space um, as previous topics. And then you also built on the questions and came mm. forth with a lot of things that I hadn't even thought about. Mm. And the first of those is like, what is grief? Like, mm. how is grief even defined? And you made this distinction between big grief with, or a big G grief, yeah. like capital G at the beginning yeah. and like lowercase grief. <clears throat> and I would love to talk about that because yeah. I think that's where a lot of um, our own judgment about grief may mm-hmm. come from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I think part of that, for me, that distinction comes from not acknowledging what, how many ways we can experience grief, right? Mm-hmm. And so if somebody close to you, somebody in your immediate family passes away, we know you're grieving. Yes, we, People can see grief. They expect grief right? Mm -hmm. But there are so many other ways that we grieve. Mm -hmm. And if you think of, you know, I think Brene Brown describes it as loss or longing or feeling lost, right? All of those things kind of together. Mm -hmm. Um, David Kessler describes it as, as um, the death of something, maybe not another person, but the death of an idea, the death of an identity, the death of a marriage, all of these things that we are losing kind of irretrievably that we might grieve over. And Mm -hmm. so many of them are not as public, as the, or as known as the loss of a close family member. Mm -hmm. You know, I think about the many, many, many women I have worked with or been on a team with who have gone through infertility or pregnancy loss Mm -hmm. and the tremendous grief that comes with that, that is often privately held for a very long time. Yes. Um, But is, is no less relevant. Right. And this isn't about saying whose grief is bigger. That's not the big G little G. I I say Mm -hmm. that only because I want us to widen our aperture a little bit on what grief means. Yeah. Because when we do that, we can, we can start to realize what's happening in our emotional experience that we're not willing to give words to without saying like, Oh, this is grieving. I had a loss here. Yeah. Something happened that I, that I can't get back or that I have to let go of. Yeah. And doing that takes being willing to call it what it is because actually acknowledging the word for what it is grief or grieving versus just feeling sad about something or um, uh, any other kind of broader, more vague emotional word actually changes our relationship to the situation. It is so true. And, you know, previously when I was doing some research for my book, one of the things that came up um, was the distinction between the Western world's relationship with emotions and Mm -hmm. the Eastern world's relationship with emotions and how in the Eastern world, emotions are quite collective mm-hmm. um, and they have mm-hmm. language to talk about those emotions. Like in Hindi, for instance, even though we don't talk about emotions very much in, in South Asian culture, mm-hmm. but we have so many words, you know, and they're words that can hardly be defined in English because there are yeah. no words in English to describe them. But 
you know, the, the ability to articulate what you're feeling. And I think Brene mm -hmm. Brown says this, if I'm not mistaken, is that articulating your feelings and being able to put words to it is, mm -hmm. is such a part of understanding the human experience mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and such a part of being seen in that experience. So, you know, for me, five years ago is kind of when my, you know, I mean, of course, grief intersects with all of us in every phase of life mm -hmm. in some way or the other. But for me, the most my most potent moments of grief started five years ago when, you know, we shut down um, a company mm -hmm. at which I was a partner um, and loved. And when I say loved, I mean loved. I don't mean, mm -hmm. you know, how you love a, how people think, oh, she loves her job that, you know, that's a, yeah. a surface level thing like I felt so much purpose and belonging mm -hmm. and, and so much of my identity was wrapped up into that. So we closed that company and I was devastated. Then mm -hmm. I had two miscarriages. I was devastated. My husband and I went to like take an anniversary trip. And on that trip, I found out my mom had cancer. Mm -hmm. I was devastated. <laughs> then I couldn't get pregnant. <sighs> I thought, you know, didn't know what was happening, found out I had the cancer gene as well. And, you know, Ooh. was being told by these um, doctors to just like pop out my babies and then get a full hysterectomy. And I'm like, holy fuck, like, wait a yeah. second. The things you are saying to me are immense. Like the, the, there's mm -hmm. the magnitude mm -hmm. of them is like almost incomprehensible. And I remember one of them was like, oh, and like there's so much... um genetic engineering that can be done these days. We can make sure you don't have mm. a daughter. So there's no risk of passing it on. And, you know, now I have a daughter, of course. And, and it was so interesting because, you know, there was the big G grief of my mom being mm. diagnosed with cancer. There was a hidden grief of miscarriage, mm -hmm. um, which it truly is like one of the most ambiguous losses, especially when it's an early miscarriage, right? It's mm -hmm. like, it's, we're trained to believe through our conversations about even abortion, you know, like it's a cluster of cells and I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, yes, it is a cluster of cells, but if you want that cluster of cells, the emotional connection you develop to it is mm -hmm. immense and it happens yeah. very fast. And then I had what potentially others would call little G grief, which mm. is grieving the end of something, right? The changing mm -hmm. seasons of our lives, as you said, and closing a company. And so I experienced every grief mm. piled on top of each other. And then it never really went away since then mm -hmm. um, because, you know, I think I've just realized like, as life goes on, more and more sad shit happens. Yeah. Um, and so we have to really uh, develop a intimate relationship mm. with our own grief. Yeah. Yeah. So much of what you said there about, like, it never went away, mm -hmm. right? Because the loss never stops being a loss, mm. right? And we do, I think we do have this notion of grief as something that you, that you, just get to the other side of. Yeah. And almost, and I, not that this isn't what you said, but I think there is a little bit of a cultural narrative around like, well, just hurry up and get back to normal. Yeah. And when we talk more about working through grief, I think that'll be part of it too. 
is that that's that's kind of the um the the message is like okay are, are you done grieving bereavemently for most places oh that they my goodness it's like a few days like are you over the death of this important person great yes <laughs> can, can, here, can I get that spreadsheet by Friday and I don't you know I don't think that that does us any favors um because mm-hmm. it does cut us off a bit from our humanity mm-hmm. and it, it sets up expectations for us even inside ourselves that we should be through something or over it or done with it. And I, um, you know, I'll, uh, I'll share the same about a very early pregnancy loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like I didn't have the right to be sad about it. Yes. And even actually right when, uh, right with the positive test, I feel like I didn't have the right to be happy about it because I was oh you know, putting this in air quotes, like old for being pregnant. And I knew oh that it gosh. might not work. And so I had to work on feeling the joy and the hope and then, and then let myself feel that. And then on the other end felt the sadness and the grief mm-hmm. of losing it. Mm-hmm. Well, by the way, I was at, I was at uh, USA Gymnastics, chief, I was the chief communications and marketing officer there. And we were at national championships when I found out that we were, that that was not going to work for us. That was oh not a viable pregnancy. And that is again, like to allow the full spectrum of feelings instead of saying, oh, I shouldn't have felt happy or I, sh- I shouldn't feel so sad, just like allowing them as they come. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that we don't, we don't plan for and we don't really talk about enough. Yeah. So Carol, in your mind, what is grief? Mm. How do we define it? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you said sometimes people don't even realize they're grieving. And I think that, you know, that is because people might be like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm just sad or like, yeah. uh, I'm feeling just like demotivated and yeah. lethargic. And it's like, well, what's happening in your life? Yeah. You yeah. know, that could give so you a clue. Yeah, totally. And what, what's so interesting, and this is maybe, and I am not, I'm not a grief researcher or a clinician, but from, from what I understand, the difference between grief and sadness, there are some key differences. And one is that desire, that kind of yearning for something that you can't have. Right. I've heard it described as like being in the desert and seeing a glass of water and it being just kind of out of reach. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's it's wanting that which you can't have because it's it's either been lost or or um, there has been a death of something, whether it's a relationship yeah. or otherwise. Mm-hmm. And then the the other part, this kind of, you know, the I love I love Brene's definition. Brene, like we're best friends. Brene Brown's <laughs> definition. Of, um, if you're out there, I swear you are one of my best friends. I mean, uh, same. <laughs> same. But lost longing and feeling lost, I think that is such um, a great, simple, concise definition because it is loss and sometimes loss makes us sad, but that longing, that desire, Mm. and then the feeling lost. Because when you have a close relationship with a person, a pet, a thing, something outside of yourself, you you have created so many neural pathways that that assume the world has that person or that thing in it. And so that feeling lost when that person or that thing, or even that idea is no longer part of your world and you're trying to come to terms with that, Mm -hmm. of course, you're going to feel lost. Mm -hmm. Of course, the spreadsheet you're trying to do for Friday doesn't make sense anymore because the world doesn't make sense anymore. Yeah. And so that, that sense of feeling lost might be overwhelming, or it might just be in a certain few environments where that small G grief existed for mm-hmm. you, mm-hmm. but you can see how the magnitude of that might shift depending on how you absorb things, the importance of that thing to you, all of 
all of those things. So that to me is, is kind of the best definition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Lost longing and feeling lost. Oh, um, sometimes even talking about it, it, this is a very hard conversation. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I can't sit here and pretend, you know, we, when I, when Carol first popped on, I was like, I'm so excited. And then I was like, <laughs> wait, that's a very strange word <laughs> to use. Yeah. Um, because it is really hard to talk about this stuff. Yeah. Um, but it's also very important to talk about mm -hmm. this stuff mm -hmm. because we haven't enough and it is a part of the human experience. Like just like birth, death is yeah. just, those are the two realist realities yeah. Yeah. that we encounter in the human experience, life yeah. and death. But we completely have closed ourselves off from thinking about and understanding and, you know, accepting or coming to terms with mm -hmm. things like death. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's oh sorry oh no please go ahead I, I was gonna say it's, it's something about the birth and death pieces no matter I mean babies are bored every single minute but yes day, right and you think about that but at the same time when it's you and I don't care I've, I've never heard uh, a parent talk about having a child and not have this um, life changing experience whether it's their first or their fourth or their tenth mm -hmm. you know it is it is this miraculous thing even though it's so ordinary. And I think death is the same in the opposite way mm -hmm. that it's so ordinary, but so impactful and devastating, even when, even when it is part of the kind of natural order of things, even when it's ordinary, even when it's an older grandparent, even when, you know, all of these things can be true at the same time. And it is, it is um, somewhat astonishing the power of how ordinary those things are and how impactful they can be to our emotional experience, even yeah. though they are so commonplace. Yeah. And Carol, you said, you know, when you started talking, you're like, I'm no expert. <laughs> I'm not like a grief counselor. But to me, expertise comes from two things. It is inherent knowledge, mm -hmm. which is the experiences we have in our own lives and, and what we understand about that experience or that emotion through our lens and then inherited knowledge, right? Mm. And, you know, I research everything every day. Like yeah. <laughs> I'm part researcher. And you have both sides of that coin. Mm. Like you have done a lot of reading. You do coach mm. people um, as they are experiencing grief. And you yourself have experienced mm. a lot of grief in your life. Mm. Would you be open to sharing a bit mm -hmm. about both your personal experience sure. with grief and then how you're working with your clients as well? Yeah, sure. Thanks for the opportunity to do that. I would say, you know, a lot of my grief journey is pretty directly connected to cancer. And it's hard not to, it's hard for me to talk about grief without talking about that. Mm -hmm. And I, my first kind of interaction with cancer was uh, the year I graduated law school. I started out as a lawyer mm -hmm. and uh, my mom um, who had smoked for many years found mm -hmm. a mass in her chest mm -hmm. and I was studying for the bar exam. And that was the first kind of, I would say like great sadness that hit me. Right. Yeah. This person I thought was almost invincible mm -hmm. uh, was crying on the phone to me that um, she couldn't get my stepdad and she knows this is bad. And, yeah. um, 
and I, I, I all of a sudden, this is, this is going to sound weird, but, and this is part of why I, I want to talk about this a little bit because I, I think we judge ourselves so much yeah. in the moments, but I had been studying for the bar exam and was really anxious and having trouble sleeping. Yeah. And the minute I found out my mom was sick and by the way, we didn't even know for sure it was cancer. We knew that yeah. there was some mass in her chest and it yeah. was, you know, that's probably it. All of a sudden I couldn't study and all I could do was sleep. Oh, interesting. Like it just like I, this like wave of exhaustion hit me mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, trying to make meaning out of it later. I have no idea that this is true, but I do think part of me just decided that this that didn't matter anymore. Yeah. Um, and that I, there was something else that was, that was going to be life-changing. Mm-hmm. And so that time there is some luck in here, that time where I was studying for the bar and before I started work, I actually went home. I tried mm-hmm. I moved from LA back to my hometown in small town, Illinois. Mm-hmm. And I stayed with my mom for like four or five months um, yeah. to help her through treatment and, um, and all of that before I moved back to LA. And so that, that was kind of my first awareness of those, the depths of what that feels like, yeah, what it can feel like. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, six years later, uh, my wife of one year, we had been, we have, it's almost our first anniversary, um, a very healthy, um, uh, athlete going for the 2016 Olympics. Wow. She was diagnosed with, um, an aggressive rare form of cancer as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, the, you know, talk about your world stopping, Yeah, right? Like it's just something we never expected to hear. And, um, when I think, I mean, some, it's almost hard to tell those stories or that experience because it's now, we've now gone through it four times. Um, wow. and, and I like, I don't think you ever, you, you I can talk about it clinically very easily without yes. batting an eye. Mm-hmm. Um, and the minute, you know, the minute I start to think about a future where that's, that's changed because of it, that is, that's something that I like, you know, still have a hard time talking about because there is so much anticipatory grief of a future that yes. might be changed. There's, you know, thinking about we've had children since then, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and thinking about like what their lives look like, how that might be different. This this past time, just recently, you know, that was the the first time our kids were uh, here alive. Yeah. Um, and except Augie was, uh, our son who's four and a half was about a year old when she had a surgery, but it's just, it's, it puts a whole nother level on it. And then even to say that when I, after we had our first son, I got diagnosed with cancer, um, when we were in the hospital for his birth. So I, I call it a wussy cancer. It was pretty easy to treat. And, um, oh my luckily, gosh, <laughs> but it was like, it didn't even blip on our radar because we've had these like much bigger things. So, um, it's, it's kind of crazy um, to think about all of those impacting us, but they have, and there's a loss that you, there's a loss of a, even though we didn't, and fortunately, and I hope we never have to lose one of us, but there's a lot that you lose in the process of realizing how human and mortal you are and that there, there's a lot of grief that comes with that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a little, I won't, belabor that, but that's a little about my, my own grief story. Yeah. I almost don't know what to say because, um, 
That is so challenging. Mm. <laughs> and I mean, that's, it's such a reductive word, even like, again, yeah. we don't fully have the vocabulary to um, express our own grief and even express mm. to those who are grieving mm -hmm. that we feel grief on their behalf, right? Like yeah. it, grief is a shared experience. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, the first time we ever met um, with our, our bellies out, you know, seven <laughs> months pregnant, you mentioned to me that you found out you had cancer when you had just had, like you, you were in the hospital birthing mm -hmm. your son. And, um, what I felt in that moment, you know, and having had this go through this with my mother as well. And, you know, thankfully she's in remission and knowing I have the gene and thinking about mm. my own children. And, you know, on one hand, the, the grief felt very proximate, right? Like it felt mm -hmm. like a grief. I could put myself in those shoes very easily, yeah. but on the flip side, I was just like, Oh my God. Like, this incredible, radiant, you know, smart, beautiful woman who is in this very tender moment that I'm in having her second child, like mm. is exp has experienced this immense grief. Mm. Um, and I think you told me about yours before you even mentioned Jill's um, <laughs> journey. And so then I was like, it was just like, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit, holy yeah. shit. You know, it was just, I was so overcome. Um, because again, like people do not talk about it with such yeah. openness, but once you've experienced so much of it, it's such a part of your life that you, you yeah. can't leave it out. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, it is a little weird. And sometimes I will like try to tell a story. It's like when I was younger before I was like fully out or fully comfortable mm -hmm. trying to tell a story without trying to tell your life story without touching on this really important part of your yes. life. It's very weird. Yeah. yeah. Right. Because you realize it is part of your story. And I think part of the reason that we going back to this narrative and, and I think pushed on women too, to be honest, that we're not allowed to kind of be as emotional as yes. as um the full range of human experience would otherwise allow mm -hmm. is that if we talk about the things people don't know how to sit with other people in hard emotions yeah we don't yes. know and i you know not not to blow you up on this but like i like i've told you this the minute we met i'm like she's so genuine like i just want to tell you everything mm -hmm. and so i knew that i could have this experience without you getting weird and walking away yeah. um and i think that that is that we don't do a good job of that mm -hmm. as a as a culture it's like if people are in pain, we sometimes well-intentioned, we want to fix it for them or reframe it for them. And mm -hmm. again, like the development world is terrible about this. Like, yeah, let's, okay. What's the silver lining here? What are you oh, grateful for goodness. in this moment? Right. And I, and it's not that there, there's not some healthy practices there, but the problem is that we don't witness the pain from the beginning mm -hmm. again, not as something to be pathologized or fixed, but just as part of the human experience and saying, mm -hmm. I see you. And that sucks. Yeah. Like, let me, let me bear witness to your pain. And that is enough. That is what we can do to each other in this collective space. We don't have to fix it or put a bandaid on it or reframe it. I can just be here with you. Yes. And, and I, I genuinely could not agree more like culturally, you know, there's so much conversation about the victim, like playing the victim mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. being like, Oh, woe is me. And, that 
that first of all in and of itself is horrific yeah like why are you diminishing someone's pain and why are you throwing it back at them in such an aggressive way by being like oh you're just you're making yourself into a victim Mm -hmm. and it's like no but real things have happened Mm -hmm. to put me Mm -hmm. in this place um and so that victim mindset thing really kills me and also the discomfort that others feel when you know people like you and I for instance are expressing our grief is also taken out on us like I was recently Mm. told um that I complain too much on social media Mm. complain and I was like are you referencing me talking about postpartum depression? Like, it was such a, I don't know. I I, I can't even remember, like, if my jaw just dropped to the floor, if I just started crying or if, like, I don't even remember because it was Mm -hmm. such a um, jarring thing for somebody to say to me. Yeah. Um, But again, like, if we see others expression of pain or grief Mm. as something as flippant as a complaint yeah or whining or being overly Mm. sensitive like we are diminishing it to a point of complete unimportance yeah and that to me is one of the most toxic things we can do Mm -hmm. in this space Mm -hmm. is you know, not only is it difficult to talk about it, yeah. right? Of course, but it's also difficult then to feel the way other people react when you talk about it. Like you said, mm-hmm. you know, I knew you wouldn't just walk away, but people just walk away. They get weird totally. and they walk away. Yeah. Yeah. And even even worse, I think, is the like, but the, at least, right? Like this is, that's almost what, well, everything happens for a reason, or at least you got 20 years with them oh. or- like those kind of things, like whatever follows that. The problem with those phrases is that whatever people mean those things nicely, but yes, whatever follows is so you shouldn't feel so crappy. Yeah. Right. Like, so your grief is not appropriate at this point, right? Yes. Like your, your sadness should be lessened. And yes. again, like from an, a place of like, I want to help you feel better. But when you are in that space, you don't want to feel better, right? I you know. you, you want to fully feel it. And on the victim mindset, here's here's something about that that I I again I think we conflate two concepts. One is if you are in deep pain, or something has happened to you or been a part of your world, that does not mean that you don't have agency or ownership or authority in your life to make decisions, to put yourself in a, a place that feels right for you, to take care of yourself, all those other things. But yeah. we somehow think that if people admit the pain they're in then they are also saying that they have no agency or authority in their life. Yes, no, those, are, yes. those are not the same thing. Mm. Yes, that's so interesting because the, com- the complaining on social media comment was coupled with a comment about how as a leader in the industry, mm. I shouldn't just be talking about the hard stuff. I should be also like, if it for instance if i'm overwhelmed mm. and upset at the industry what are other people who are in potentially like less positions of quote unquote power like truly mm-hmm. air quote power um what are they supposed to feel and mm. i'm like well 
they are feeling these things. Yeah. And nobody is reflecting back that that human experience, that grief, that um, trouble reconciling why certain things are the way they are in, in the workplace and in the professional realm. You know, people at the top of industries are grappling with that too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yes, I think, you know, things like this, like these sorts of conversations are at least beginning to put language to and structure to and bring awareness to Mm -hmm. these things. And I, I believe that to be solutions oriented, Mm -hmm. but also why are we constantly making people leap to solutions? Like that's one of my least favorite pieces of feedback that people give in professional settings. It's like be solutions oriented. And it's like, fuck you. <laughs> Let me have a fucking <laughs> second to, yeah. to dwell in this problem and this discomfort yeah. because otherwise I'm just burying it yeah. and you know, it's going to come up. <laughs> like yeah. Yeah. burying stuff does yes. nothing for anyone. Mm-mm. You know, it, it makes me think, I, I feel super, a part of the trajectory in my career, I was chief of staff to a CEO at a public company. Mm-hmm. Um, and worked closely with him, lots mm-hmm. of one-on-one time, lots of following him around. Yeah. Um, and, but he was incredibly emotionally aware mm-hmm. and it changed my perspective on what that means about leaders. That's wonderful. And as an example, I think the, the second time Jill got sick, I don't, I didn't realize this, but I think I had kind of convinced myself, even knowing how likely it was to come back and that it was probably going to be a chronic thing. I had kind of convinced myself that like, okay, like you know, here we are. I mean, I went to the last, the scan that she got re-diagnosed kind of like, here we go. Like I was almost arrogant about it, like that we were going to go home and have two years cancer free. Um, and that's not what happened. And she got re-diagnosed. And so, um, yeah, that like tremendous grief at Mm -hmm. the, the life I had created in my head where this was a one and done thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I realized that in a one-on-one with my boss at the time, that I was trying to convince him that I was going to be okay at work. Like I was like, logistically, here are the things we're going to do. And then I'm still mm-hmm. going to do this and I will call him for this. And, um, and I'm going to be basically saying like, I'm going to be just as good. Yeah. And he took this deep breath and goes, no, you're not. Wow. And I, and I, again, like immediate defensiveness, like, no, no, no. You know? And he was like, no, you shouldn't be. This, this doesn't, and that doesn't mean that like overall your, your career is going to suffer, but like this, this experience that you're having means that you won't be as strong and as good as in this other area of your life. And that, that is okay, but let's acknowledge it. So, you, and it was like life-changing to feel yeah. like, oh, wait a minute, we can, we can acknowledge this. Like I can, I can be a human and a leader. I can have these dips in my performance instead of thinking, you know, this like perfectionist mindset of even when the sky is falling, I have to show up here in this way that is not too emotional and also not unemotional because then we, then we're cold. So like this place where we're just like, we just show just enough emotion and we keep it all together. Mm -hmm. Right. And -hmm. I have heard that from clients too, of like, well, I just can't keep it together anymore. I used to be very poised and, you know, (laughs) I just said that. (laughs) I just said that to my boss yesterday, literally verbatim. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's this like this judgment we have for ourselves when something cracks us open. 
And I, I do think, I mean, that I think that's another kind of defining moment of big G grief, right? Where there is, you feel like your life has kind of been cleaved into between the before and the after, like, you know, when those moments happen. Yeah. And I think that that's, you aren't the same. And so you're, you're literally cracked open and it's hard to keep the mask or the facade or the poise on top of what has cracked you open. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Like you are, you are becoming more human, but you might not hold it all together. Yeah. And I think just hearing somebody say like, yeah, of course, it was such permission for me to, mm-hmm. to have that. Yeah. And was this before or after um, your sport experience or was it the sport experience? No, that was before. No, that was when I, that was when I was at uh, Vail Resort. So that was Rob Katz. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. He was the CEO. Yep. Shout out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's because the best. even, you know, at, at multiple pinnacles of your career, mm-hmm. you have experienced this grief. Yeah. And yes, you are not a certified grief coach or whatever, whatever, yeah. whatever. <laughs> but again, you have deep experience in this space. And so what are the elements of kind of holding space mm. for grief, supporting yeah. people through grief that we can start to inject into corporate culture? Yeah. Yeah. So I think like think, thinking about that side of it, mm-hmm. right? Like what, what Rob did in that conversation was first like normalize that this, this is part of the human experience. It's okay mm-hmm. that you're not okay. Yeah. And I felt that deeply, like you are going to screw up and that's going to be okay because that's what happens when things fall apart. And even though I wanted to focus on what was what how I was going to keep it all together there was no way that that was not going to be a human conversation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right we were having a human to human conversation mm-hmm. which means just allowing space to be sad and I, I think from a boss's perspective one thing that I think was so important um about that particular experience for me was I did talk about it sometimes um but one of the things that Rob did was he kind of said like, it's always okay for you to talk about that here. Mm-hmm. And I'm never going to push you to talk about it here. Yeah. And this is where I kind of shared this ahead of time, but this space between vulnerability and sharing and mm-hmm. privacy, because sometimes we need to not be in that space. Right. Yes. So sometimes people I barely knew would come up and be like, how did it go? Um, Or, you know, kind of this like, intense personal discussion that I I actually don't want to have. Like, how are you really? Which is a nice thing, again, well-intentioned, but maybe I'm about to give a presentation and I don't really want to focus on that right oh, now. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and so uh, my boss saying that so clearly, like you talk about it whenever you want and I'm never going to make you talk about it. I'm never going to push you on it. Me not asking doesn't mean I don't care. It means I don't want to bring it up when you don't want to talk about yes, it. Yes, yes. And that was, I think, from a boss's perspective, what a what a great way to lead to say, like, I'm here for whatever you want to talk about, and I'm not going to make you talk about what you don't want to. Yeah, yeah. It it goes back to even, you know, a lot of people have been saying this lately, and it, it means so much, I think, to just ask people, like, if yeah. they have the capacity, yeah. you know, like, um, one of my friends, bless her, like randomly texted me at 8 a.m. yesterday and was like, oh, my gosh, like this guy who we went to high school with, his nephew who was 10 years old, like died of cancer. And that was yeah. the text. And, you know, um, 
my husband's grandmother just passed away. Um, our, um, also we got a very scary diagnosis on mm. his, his side of the family as well. Um, aggressive, rare cancer diagnosis. And just to get that text, like first thing in the morning, like I'm trying to, yeah. you know, be present with my three-year-old, get her out the door, like feed the baby. And I was just like, girl, why? <laughs> Yeah. Like, why, yeah. why, why did you have to send me that text at like 8 a.m. randomly on a Wednesday morning? Like, yeah. just let's let's all capacity check each other. Right. Mm. Because even though for some people that would be totally fine, like they would be like, yeah. oh, my God, how devastating for me. It brought up things that are. um. I don't know, things that I'm really struggling with right now. Mm, and a lot mm. of, you know, because once you experience things like cancer in your family and, you know, you know, you have the risk yourself and then you have children yeah. and you're like, oh, like, uh, God forbid, you know, like the, the level of anxiety once you have kids about yeah. illness, just in oh. my opinion, like skyrockets. Yeah. And so this this idea of like, giving people the space to share, but also mm. allowing the sharing and vulnerability to be their decision. Yeah. <clears throat> but also make sure the person on the receiving end also has the emotional capacity, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and it could be like, you know, your boss could have had a really tough day with his own parents or his own spouse. Yeah. And just, you know, that morning been like, Hey, can we talk about this? And even just an hour, even yeah. just an hour. And then I can be there for you the way you need me to, you yeah. know, or you can unload the way you need to. Yeah. And because we haven't allowed, you know, stereotypically negative, like I, I don't actually mm -hmm. believe there's anything as a bad yeah. emotion. I think there are challenging emotions. Um, but because we haven't allowed them to penetrate the workspace and penetrate more professional relationships, we also haven't learned how to either create the space to say them and express them, but also the space mm. to receive them properly. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. And I, you know, it reminded me when you were talking of kind of this idea of concentric circles, I, I read about this when Joel was first sick, but this idea of Yes, a lot of people around a person who is ill are going to be grieving and sad. And you, if the person is at the center of it, then like their close family, spouse, kids, or maybe the next circle, and then and then out and out to like acquaintances on the outside. Yeah. And and the 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 support goes inward and the feelings come outward a little bit in the sense of like, you know, if you're on an outer circle, please don't cry to me about how hard this is for you. Oh, yeah. Right. Like that's, and not that, not that you don't deserve to have those feelings. Of course, those are normal and you can feel that way, but know that I'm not going to be the right person to support you in that when we're talking about the same situation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, you know, I think that's really hard. And I, I think that happens to the person at the center of it all the time. Like, yeah, well-meaning people, you know, and then you're in the place of like, yes, I know I have this life-threatening illness, but let me make you feel better. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. And so that becomes, that becomes really hard too. Um, so just being aware of where you are in relation to the receiver of whatever you're exactly, saying. Exactly. Exactly. And, 
you know, we talked about um, the proximity of grief a little bit. And, you know, of course, if your wife is experiencing something like the level of grief you are experiencing Mm -hmm. is immense. Um, So let me let me contextualize it in my own life. So Mm -hmm. my husband's um, grandmother just passed away. Mm -hmm. And I have met her once. We went and we stayed in her house in India. We have some really like one of the most embarrassing moments of my life, which I'm not going to go into, but I think it's funny. <laughs> happened at her house. Okay. Um, and you know, I again, I met her once. Even my husband's closeness to her, you know, he wasn't that close. And that happens a lot with immigrant families, yeah. right? Because grandparents sometimes are still mm-hmm. in India or in a different country. But my grief was actually connected to his mom, mm. who I love dearly. Like, she's truly my second mother. And and being there for her and feeling her grief and, and understanding that, you know, she left her mom when she was in her 20s, moved to another mm. country, like never got that relationship. And, you know, all of those things come up in these yeah. scenarios, right? Like what you wish you had yeah. So and so. But then I was like feeling um what's the word? Like not guilty, but I was like hmm. do I deserve to yeah, feel this and mm-hmm. you know, I had a really tough day at work because Abby's parents came to Chicago to fly out from here to India and I was mm-hmm. with his mom and um and her and I were texting yesterday a lot and on her way to India and I was having a really hard day and then I was judging myself. Mm. I was like, Ambika, like this is Abby's grandmother in India. She was 92 years old. She lived a long, beautiful life, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like all the things you tell yourself and you judge yourself on. Mm -hmm. But it was really painful. Like it is in the back of my mind. I am being hit with these like little waves because while the grief is not the grief of the loss of the grandmother, isn't necessarily mine, quote unquote, the experiencing someone you love experiencing Mm -hmm. grief is also a version of grief. Yeah. And so I've, I've judged myself for my grief a lot. I'm obviously a very emotional person. Like when I see, you know, when I've seen my parents cry or, you know, my best friends cry or people mm. I work with cry. Like I, I also get visibly yeah. moved. Um, but I don't know. There's, there's something about the concentric circles and allowing yourself to feel whatever you feel. Mm. Yes. Yes. And okay, so, not putting yeah. it on other people. Like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. There's some connection there that I'm trying to unpack. Yeah. I love that. So there's a difference between judging yourself for needing support or feeling feelings uh-huh. versus going to your husband's mom and crying to her yes. and asking her to support yes. you Yes, with, through the death of her own mother, right? Uh-huh. That would, that would be different. Mm-hmm. Now, not saying that that might not happen in some families or you might not have that relationship, but ordinarily, right? That is, that's the yes. concentric circle idea, Yeah, but it doesn't mean, and this is where the, um, this is where I think when we judge, however we're feeling right grief or otherwise, 
when we resist the feeling, then it does, it just gets caught up in, Mm -hmm. and we don't fully express it. And I think some of the intellectualizing of why do I feel this way? What, what is causing me to feel this way? What might be behind it? When we can ask that from a place of curiosity, instead of a place of judgment, Mm -hmm. wow, what can, that can tell us so much about what's important to us, what we're really worried about, right? Mm -hmm. I get weird anticipatory grief about um, losing one of my parents. My mom and dad are both still here. Um, and yet sometimes when I think of it, it will, it will bring me to tears and I don't identify as like super emotional or like, but Mm -hmm. I, but that strikes me so much as something that's hard. Okay. Like you could say, well, that's nuts. Right. Or I could say like, well, what does that tell me about what I care about or what I think I'm missing or what I'm worried about? Mm -hmm. What haven't I said? Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think this idea of like, here's the difference in Mm -hmm. curiosity versus judgment. When we are being curious, we are getting closer to the feeling, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? So you can ask the same question, but the intent is to step towards it. And the intent, when you ask the same question with a different tone is to step away. Why should I, why am I feeling like this? This is not right. Mm -hmm. Versus, yeah. Why do I feel like this? What's coming up for me when I think about this? Yeah. What, what else is this bringing up? Right. And then, and then what do I, what do I need in this moment? Because I'm having this feeling, which is not because I'm justified in having this feeling. There's no need for the justification. Feelings aren't facts and they're not permanent, but they are there. And they are real. They're real and they impact how you show up. So Mm -hmm. if you can nurture yourself in that moment and, and whatever feelings you have, that's going to, that is going to help you work in it Mm. and maybe through it. Yeah. But again, like the through it, Ironically, so much of getting through it is letting yourself be in it and get closer to it. Yes, yes. And that that anticipatory grief, oof, mm-hmm. like that one gives me goosebumps because I have so much of it, right? Like yeah. my mom had cancer. Every time she goes back for one of her scans every four months, I'm like, you know, there's a moment of paralysis yeah. that we all just yeah. like sit in. And then when I was thinking about, you know, my own grief about Abby's grandmother and hit and Abby's mom, what that opened up for me was the pain of being a mother and mm. the pain of losing a mother. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And when I, when I understood that, I was like, no wonder this is so. Yeah uncomfortable and I I can't remember oh um somebody said to me recently they're like there is nothing like losing your mother mm-hmm. and they're like of course like losing your father it, it's devastating it's devastating of course but like losing your mother mm-hmm. if you've had a loving relationship with her um or thinking about your yourself and your children like that Mm -hmm. is a deeply deeply Mm -hmm. painful grief and that Mm -hmm. is one of the anticipatory griefs and and I think why my friend's text um freaked me out so much is because that is one of the most present anticipatory grief griefs Mm -hmm. in my life Mm -hmm. yeah and it is a real grief Mm -hmm. like but knock on wood you know we say nazar nalage inshallah like whatever you want to say um nothing has happened 
Yeah. Nothing is happening. But that doesn't mean that when I sit and think about how deeply I love my children, oh, I'm going to cry, or how much I love my mom or my dad, just like you're saying, that I'm not still taken over by a really real grief. Yeah. Um, You know that famous quote? It's by this um, person, Jamie Anderson, who says, grief I've learned is really just love. It's all mm. the love you want to give but cannot. It's all mm. of the unspent love that gathers in the corners of your eyes, the lump in your throat, and the hollow part of your chest. Grief is just love with no place to go. Like, mm. grief is an expression of love. Mm-hmm. And why can't we treat it that way? Why can't we treat it with the same lovingness and the same tenderness and the mm-hmm. same like embrace as mm-hmm. we do with things like love? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, it is. It is so relevant um, to how so many of us have felt, particularly in the last few years. Like even if even if you haven't had one of those losses close to you, or even if you don't have the same empathy muscle that you do Mm -hmm. and can feel that with other people like the last few years we have all had collective grief at the world that was pre-pandemic I think you know and I I would say like this kind of collective grief around the world before the pandemic school shootings right these the the idea that and I have this is something I can't I can't tell you how many people particularly in my one-on-one work have said like I don't know this this war that's going on like how why am I connected to Twitter and focused on this or why do I, you know, I don't live anywhere near there. My kids are in a school that's safe, you know, whatever that where they don't feel justified in feeling yes. the, the fear. And that's that like that practice, it's, you know, a, a meditative practice, but the practice of rain, uh, I'll just do it quickly, but that are like recognizing like, okay, this is grief. This is sadness. This is longing. Um, uh, I love in Brazil, they say saudade, right? Like, I love that, that word, like, ta- like from other languages that this is, this is a feeling I have that, um, I'm not, by the way, I'm not Brazilian or speak Portuguese, but I always love that word. That yeah. Like we're talking about. But this is, this is the feeling I have. And then the, the A part of rain is just accepting it. Like, yes, this belongs like allow it. Right. Because we spend so much time just resisting it. And if you can verbally out loud or in your heart say, yes, I accept this. This is okay. Like I I can handle any feeling that I have. And then that I is just investigating it from a place of curiosity. What does this mean for me? Why, like what, what might be driving this? What might I do to help myself? And then that end being nurture, right? That Mm. what can I do to nurture myself in this moment? Some, some teachers have told that as non-identify, like just because you feel this way, doesn't mean you are this way, right? Grieving doesn't mean you are, you are permanently in grief. Um, so there's a couple different ways to use that, but just as a kind of naming it to tame it practice, right. Of knowing what's happening and that it all belongs, mm-hmm. all of that, the love belongs, the grief belongs, the fear belongs. And that's what grief is. So many emotions in one, it's not just sadness. It's longing, it's anger, it's guilt, right? There's, yes. there's so much it's yes. anxiety, God, the anxiety of grief right? That, that comes along with that or can come along with that. Yeah. And it's also as unique as your fingerprint. Everybody experiences grief differently. Mm. And in different situations, you might feel it more acutely than in other ones. And that all of that is normal and expected because you are unique. And so of course that feeling is going to be different for you. And even, I mean, that's, that sounds like almost too woo, but no, it doesn't. Neurologically that's true. Like we, our hormones impact how we experience grief. 
Oh, wow. Right. That like what our, our cortisol levels impact how we experience grief. So there's this, it's not, you know, that's not just like everybody's unique. Like that is true. Yeah. Yeah. I am so happy that you brought this to a place of collective grief because, mm. you know, the idea that the day um, the overturning of Roe Ro v. Wade was oh. announced, you know, like it was just a normal, it was like a normal day. You know, the world spins madly on that yeah. song. Like I think about that song mm. all the time. It's like, I thought of you and where you'd gone and the world spins madly mm. on. Like everything mm. is just expected to keep going and keep moving and be yeah. how it always is. And I, I do, I'm very affected by school shootings. Mm. Um, and again, like I don't feel comfortable necessarily like going into work and, and being like, Actually, I have done this multiple times, so I, I I may not feel comfortable, but I can't not go into work and be like, I'm so devastated and shaken up. Yeah. And because you're so right. We have experienced so much collective grief. Like for a year, we were all sitting in front of our TVs watching the death count from COVID just rise and rise and rise and hearing about how sick people yeah. don't have hospital beds and people are never getting to say goodbye to their loved ones. And <sighs> I mean, of course we have gone through collective grief. All of us have yeah. the ability to connect with those stories mm -hmm. and we still like, we're not addressing that. Yeah. Like in one of um, the previous interviews, one of the conversations we had about how there like just needs to be rooms to like just fucking cry in like in the <laughs> workplace you know you have your mother's yeah. rooms you have like the one stalled bathrooms and then there are dedicated rooms where you just go and cry like because why aren't we allowing those emotions in the workplace mm. why are we you know prescribing how long somebody gets to take off mm. work when mm -hmm. somebody they love passes or, you know, at my company, after I had my miscarriage, my second miscarriage, I was in such a state of grief and there was no bereavement policy about miscarriage. Mm. It was just like, an, it was like a outer death or a tangible, I don't know. I don't even know yeah. how to describe it because mm. in my heart that it was a death. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I worked with our company to be like, no, this, this must be in a, in our bereavement mm -hmm. policy. And that's the first step. But the second step is how can we as a society and a culture not prescribe mm -hmm. um, what grief looks like yeah. or feels yeah. like, or how long it takes to process or even the stages of grief. Like, yeah, these are all frameworks. They're suggestive, yeah. but like yeah. you said, everyone's experience is very different. So, yeah, you know, at the end of these conversations, I always like to think about what can actually be done, you know, whether it's systematically or operationally yeah. to make space for things like this in the workplace. And I think mm -hmm. your example with your boss um, is a beautiful one, but are there any other you know, like process oriented or operationally oriented mm. things that you might suggest 
um, based on your work and your experience? Yeah, so I do think the bereavement leave policy, you touched on it a little bit, that is still something that is not common or that is incredibly short. Yeah. Right, and and this like expectation, it's, it's you know, same thing with mat leave, that like yes. that you come back after a certain amount of time and you should be good to go, right? Yeah, you're like fully rejuvenated. You've had yeah. time to like yeah. eat your pint of ice cream on the couch and like grieve and yeah. and it's like no, it's nothing like that. Yeah. I also think this is like when we talk about leaders and their obligation to mm-hmm. their people mm-hmm. to help on things like this. I don't think we do enough social and emotional training for people in leadership. Yes. You have an outsized impact on the lives of the people that report to you or dotted line to you. And when you don't have emotional skills, when you are not comfortable with grief, guess what you are pushing on other people, right? I mean, part of the reason that that relationship that I had with my boss went so well is because he was very comfortable with tough emotions Mm -hmm. and dealing with me feeling a certain way or falling apart on some days or all of that. And so I then became more comfortable with it. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, you you know, if if we don't do that, if we don't just not just train people on what the policy is, but help them. This is why leadership development, I think, is so important in in the corporate space. And unfortunately, it's one of the things to get cut immediately yeah. um, when when budgets are tight. But this has such an impact on how people show up and and then the collective employee engagement everywhere, because if you don't know how to help people through uh, and, and not that you need to be their therapist, you don't. But to be able to sit there with somebody in their pain and help them through it in the in the bare minimum of being a human mm-hmm. and just witnessing it briefly and saying, how can I help you? Understanding that their work product's not going to be as good. Yeah. Understanding what grief does to somebody's brain, mm-hmm. right? Just some basic training on what happens when somebody is grieving mm-hmm. could be so helpful. Yeah. And, you know, the workforce is going through so much right now like the the uh, amount of layoffs that have taken place Mm. the amount of people that you know have just have come back from maternity leave and been let go or have been on maternity leave and have been let go and that's just you know one example that's that's rent free in my mind if you will um but even you know we've had to do some layoffs recently and yeah and it's 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 easy to be very transactional Mm -hmm. and follow the exact script Mm -hmm. and to a certain extent, like have a detachment, whether it is an unhealthy or a healthy detachment. But at the end of the day, you are deeply affecting Mm -hmm. or the situation is deeply affecting somebody's life and is deeply Mm -hmm. affecting everybody's lives around them as well. You know, like Mm -hmm. yesterday, all I could think about was how some people's best friends at work would just like no longer be there. And that Mm -hmm. is, I'm that is very difficult, right? Like in, in the way that we have been defining grief in this session, like it is a loss, you do yeah. feel lost. Yeah. It is an immense change in the fabric of your day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. And we tend to approach these things like through such a, I don't want to say cold because I, I actually feel like 
at least like we are a very emotional Mm. workplace, you know, like we struggle with these things. We Mm -hmm. are up all night worrying about these and thinking about these things and working, you know, ourselves to the bone sometimes to make sure we don't have to do these things. Yeah. And we under, we know we have an immense responsibility to our people. So I would not, we are not a cold organization by any stretch, but in these scenarios, our defense mechanism is to turn off the soft parts of ourselves Mm -hmm. and turn on the hard parts of ourselves. And that cannot be the way we deal with these situations. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I mean. Like this is when, when you think about being more emotionally aware of your own internal experience, when I say like, this is what we've been training for to be able to hold both of those things as true in that moment that, wow, this is really hard. Wow. We're really impacting people. That sucks. That hurts. I don't like being in the position to make that call. This hurts for me. And this is the right thing that we have to do for the business and the organization. Yes, exactly. To be able to hold both those because this this binary that we've created of like either you care about people or you're cold yes. and you lay people off, like not one leader I know fits into that bucket. Yes. Really. And yeah. I I don't I've I've said this before and I know it's not super popular because it's easier to say all leaders are kind of cold and heartless. I don't think it's true. No, I don't I think not, it's I true. Not, you know, I've not worked with one executive or VP or director who somehow thinks that like every, you know, it's, it's fine. They can do whatever they want. Who cares? You know, no, they, they all are affected by these things. And there's a, an additional loneliness or isolation on top of that, because then it's kind of like, oh, what was you? Yeah, but like, exactly. But your experience matters too. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I do think that it's, it's important to have all of that and allow for all of that because we're all human, regardless of what, you know, made up rank we hold in the corporate space. Exactly. Exactly. Oh. It's like a big side. Yeah, it's a big conversation. And yeah, you know, it's been one this was the first um one of the first articles I wrote when Corner Office Breakdowns was a newsletter was about mm. the idea of grief and jealousy. That one was also about mm. jealousy yeah. at work and these, you know, traditionally negative emotions being at play all the fucking time because yeah again, we are humans having an emotional experience and we can't just turn things off and on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I can't express my gratitude enough mm-hmm. for engaging in this with me and helping me honestly process some of my own grief. And I really hope, you know, people who um, listen to this felt seen in some ways as well yeah. and felt like some some of the floodgates opened. It's okay to open them. You know, yeah. it's not going to create a tsunami. But we all need to be able to acknowledge kind of the river of emotions yeah. getting swept up in it. Like that is the practice of yeah. mindfulness and that is the practice of living life. And And so I hope this takes some of the pressure of perfection and Mm. positivity and you know gratitude off it doesn't always need to be that way yeah and if if you could one one thing we were talking about how others can support but if there's one thing that I could tell people who feel that acute grief or who are grieving come from a place of compassion for yourself when you are beating yourself up for not doing something you've always done or forgetting your keys in the freezer or 
saying the wrong thing or crying in front of your direct report or, 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 or all the things that you might feel like you quote messed up, please start from a place of love and kindness for yourself and hold yourself with a little more gentleness than you otherwise do. Because yes. it is, it is hard for anybody in that position. Of course, you forgot your keys. Of course, you said something that was maybe not exactly articulate because you're grieving and your brain is trying to understand the world now that it's a different place than it was before this thing cleaved your world into. And I think that's, that's, you know, other people's compassion goes a long way, but when we can show ourselves compassion, then it becomes so much more possible to go through the world Mm -hmm. and keep encountering these emotions without falling apart. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, I recommend if people are, um, traversing these situations that they reach out to you um, mm-hmm. and work with you. But are there any uh, resources that you have found to be helpful um, mm-hmm. in your life that you wouldn't mind yeah. sharing? And if not now, then maybe we can just add it to the show notes. Yeah. The, the one thing I would say that maybe we didn't talk about, right, is we talked a lot about experiencing the emotion and letting it be there. But I think the other part of knowing when you're feeling that way is when you do need distraction, right? We talked a little bit about, should you work through grief? Should you show up at work when you're grieving? And one of the, one of the simplest things is of course that depends on the person, right? Because sometimes you need to be at work. Sometimes you need to think about something other than your loss or the pain that, that you're in. Sometimes you need to be a little detached so that you can feel like yourself. And that's okay too, right? Knowing when you want to get closer and when you need to pull back, that's part of understanding your emotional world. It's different than numbing. It's different than numbing to say, I'm going to actually, I'm going to go to this meeting. I'm going to focus on this thing because that makes me feel like me too. Yeah. Right. Um, and so understanding when you want to get closer and when you need to pull back and do something else, like that is an answer only you can have. And so whether or not you work through something or while you're feeling something mm-hmm. is entirely a personal decision. Um, so that's, that's something I think is important. Yes. Then, that is you know, so important. And, and saying it's not numbing. Yes. It's, it's not. not a cop out. Right. Yes. So this, this idea of mindfulness or even the rain practice that I talked about earlier, when you get to the nurture, like, what do I need right now? Nurture might be to go to work. Yes. Right. Nurture might be laying in bed all day. It's mm-hmm. going to be different depending on where you are. And so mindfulness is not about just really intensely feeling you're feeling all the time. Yes, <laughs> it's, I it's absolutely about, agree. <laughs> it's about mindfully deciding what you need um, in those really hard moments. And of course there is, like I said, I don't think we th- should always pathologize grief and make it something that has to be fixed. You can, you can just have it. It can be a normal human emotion. And sometimes it is necessary to get more help right? Mm -hmm. To see a coach, to talk to a therapist, to see a psychiatrist, to get medication, Mm -hmm. to talk to a bereavement group. That does not mean something's gone wrong. It just means that you need more support in this moment. And I, you know, I do think again, as leaders at work, talking about those things, right? Talking about therapy, talking about the medication you take or the time you needed to take or the things that are hard. Um, that not that you, you know, if it, if it doesn't, if it feels too open for you, I get that, but also, recognize that you are setting an example for other people when you can do that, that, that normalizes the collective help we can get through other people. I could not agree more that if there is one thing I have learned in my leadership journey, it is that the more open you are, the more open Mm -hmm. everyone else is with Mm -hmm. you and the more things open up. 
Mm-hmm. Um, the the more interesting the thinking becomes, the more accurate, the more truth comes out, the yeah. more, you know, it, it, it is so powerful. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that to me is, is sort of the takeaway of everything I, I do mm-hmm. and I'm trying to do. It's like leadership and what we think about leadership and how we think about leaders and power and authority and, and all of these things needs to evolve. Mm-hmm. And power can be the power of expression. It can be the power of vulnerability, the power of sensitivity, mm-hmm. the power mm-hmm. of openness, and not just the power of, you know, ambition or yeah. blah, blah, blah. Right. The list goes on. Um, but yes, thank you so much for this, Carol. Thank you so, so much. This episode with Carol was meant to be episode nine of season one. And obviously, if you've been here for a little bit, you know this is um, only episode four. It's Friday, uh, and I am meant to be launching this on Tuesday uh, and fully sort of changed the plan last night at 11 p.m. and woke up early to... Uh, get my ducks in order because nothing felt more important than talking about grief right now. Um, Something in my gut was telling me that this is the message um, we needed to put out right now. And it's so funny because I texted Carol um, to just let her know and confirm if that was okay. And she said, weird grief is showing up everywhere for me too um so while i i don't want to say i hope this is catching you at a relevant time because i never want to wish the feeling of grief on anyone i hope this message finds the people it needs to find and i hope those of you who are experiencing some sort of grief whether it's big G grief or little G grief, um, feel a sense of understanding and acknowledgement in this episode. And Carol and I both wanted to offer up uh, to answer questions to anyone coming out of this episode. Um, If something stuck out to you in particular, if you want to dig into something deeper, Um, please do reach out to us. Um, You can DM me on Instagram at AmbikaGP and um, Carol and I will figure out a way to make sure some answers come your way. Um, Thank you for listening as always and talk to you all soon.